Welcome back to What's New with Mead. This is episode number 11. Today, we are going to be discussing the main topic of yeast nutrients slash kind of honey uh, introduction into a mead and also some step feeding. If you've never heard about step feeding um, a mead to get it to be a higher gravity or even just a normal a normal gravity, uh, we'll talk about that. So I'm very excited to share this uh, podcast with you guys. I hope you will go and um, share it on you know whatever avenue you want, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. I would love to continue to um, educate and continue to hopefully entertain you all with this. So, I always start every single video, and uh, every single podcast, I should say, with what I'm drinking. Tonight, I am drinking a passion fruit dry hopped mead that is carbonated. It's something I finished just recently, and um, it's fantastic. I, I, uh, I won't go through a whole mead review on this thing, but basically, it is one, probably top five most refreshing drinks I've ever made. Um, you know, probably the most refreshing drink I've made. It helps because it's summertime, the carbonation, the cold, all that stuff. But uh, again, I'm very excited to share this with you guys. So I'll be sipping on this. Let's go ahead and jump right into our main topic of, I'm calling it kind of nutrient introduction. Really what I want to discuss is a few different things. So let's dive into the first category. Um, A little while ago, I did a honey versus, or a test where I mixed honey in one mead and then I didn't mix it in the other one. I had them fermenting side by side and my goal was to see if the mead would ferment on or without being mixed. So uh, the one that was normal was just normal must. I mixed in I think it was a pound and a half of honey into my water, shook it up. That thing fermented fine normally. The one that was really interesting to me was the one I put water on top of the honey. I still put yeast onto it. What happened, uh, without giving too much spoiler, was uh, the honey was dissolved into the water over time and the yeast actually were the proponent of that. The yeast are the thing that mixed the honey into the water and ate, of course, the sugar to make the alcohol. So I found that to be very interesting not necessarily super surprising. I figured something like that might happen. What uh, really got me was the end of the test, I ended up tasting them both, and I kind of found that there is a taste difference between a mead that, mm, I'll say ferments more quickly, and a mead that ferments slowly. So. More often than not, when you ferment something, the fermentation is very vigorous or semi-vigorous, and a lot of the aromas from honey, from fruit, from spices, whatever you're putting in the primary, go out of the airlock. So that means that when you go back and you taste it later on, you're probably going to be missing some of those key flavors, which is not surprising. That's just how fermentation works. My hypothesis is that whenever you ferment something um, more slowly, there's still fermentation, but I don't think it's as vigorous, which means that your retention of some of those aromas is still there. Now, I, I don't have like scientific data saying that the air moves this fast and yada yada. I don't have any information like that. This is just based off of taste testing things over time. 
So I noticed that with this, that the, in some ways, the um, not mixed version that I had actually was a little more uh, aromatic, more flavorful, because it fermented more slowly. Is that the right word? Fermented slowly, slower. There we go. <laughs> and um, uh, I found that to be really interesting and it's kind of made me think about how I want to ferment in the future. Of course, I like using yeasts that are powerful, like a Lauvin EC1118 or a KV1116 from Lauvin, both very powerful yeast. The problem is they are fast fermenters, which means that problem that we talked about of losing aromatic flavors from your mead, it just, it happens really quickly with those. So, uh, not to say you shouldn't use those, but you can definitely consider that in your brew when you make something. That test was very fun for me to do. And if you haven't checked it out, it's on YouTube. The whole thing is there. Uh, it is kind of a ride from beginning to end. And um, while you know my discoveries, quote, are not the, the end all be all, uh, and they will never be because again, this is an opinion, I find them to be kind of interesting. So I might test that in the future with some other variables, but we'll see. That was a very fun one to do. That leads me into my next idea. So since the not mixed version ate the sugar over time, that started this train in my head of thinking about step feeding. If you don't know what step feeding is, it is a process by which you add sugar over time to feed the yeast, which of course is what will create the alcohol. People normally do this when they are trying to get a brew that is insanely high ABVs. So uh, most all yeast have a cap at least at, you know, some go up to um, 18%. Some of them, you know, stop at 13, whatever. There is a way, if you step feed, that you can go past the cap of the yeast. It is just a very hard process of adding sugar slowly over time. So let's say that you made a mead and for example, let's go with the Lavin D47, for example. That yeast um, has a ABV tolerance, quote, max of 14%. If you want to go past that, you really have to slowly push the yeast. Um, this doesn't always work, I'll say. There are some instances and in some yeasts that just don't do, uh, don't go past 14, we'll just literally stop. And most of that is because the yeast, when they hit that cap, that is like, they're, they're past their operable gravity. Also alcohol has its own scientific -y, uh, tolerances. So a yeast, just like uh, you think of um, hand sanitizer, like a, a bacteria can't survive in this kind of alcohol. Well, the yeast can't survive in an alcohol past X point. So that's kind of why they stop. So uh, let me switch my analogy a little bit. Let's talk about bread yeast. Bread yeast are one that are more, quote, wild. They have uh, less of a tolerance, um, a less clear tolerance, I'll say. They definitely have a ABV tolerance. Um, I believe most of the time I've got my bread yeast to get about to get to about 11 or 12%. So let's say I'm using a, a normal mead, I use bread yeast, I get it up to 12% and let's pretend that's the cap for this bread yeast. If I wanna go past it, I can add a little bit of honey after that 12% 
and the yeast will kind of pick up and slowly start feeding again. And then when they chew through that, you can add a little more honey. Then basically you just keep feeding the yeast until they absolutely cap out. And with bread yeast, like I said, they're a little more wild. They can um, kind of push those boundaries a little bit. Obviously they hit a cap at some point. Step feeding though is, is very useful for that high gravity, high ABV mead. I've never made something past 18%. I would love to try it at some point. However, I have just, I just haven't done it. And um, step feeding is a pretty vigorous, not vigorous, is a tedious process because you really have to be on top of your, uh, on your brew. You can't just let it set for two weeks and go away because you are constantly needing to basically add more honey, watch it, take the gravity reading, add more honey. Um, you're taking gravity readings sometimes every day, sometimes maybe twice a day if it's really fermenting. Um, and that's a little bit tedious to me. So I haven't done it yet. I will do it at some point. Uh, I just will try to get there eventually. So again, that, that kind of leads me to my next part. We've talked about step feeding and the most important thing with feeding your yeast is not only the food, quote, the honey you give them, but also yeast nutrient and yeast energizer. So every single yeast requires some amount of nutrient, some amount of energizer. That's the same thing for us. As people, we require food. If you don't eat, you don't drink, eventually you die. That's just how life works. Same thing for yeast. Now, when we feed them honey, there's something special about honey that, ha that well, some honey provide a clear amount of nutrients, a fair amount of nutrients, but they don't provide all the nutrients. Every single honey is a little different, so I can't speak for them all, uh, but you can get enough nutrients to provide your yeast with uh, a decent fermentation by honey alone. The thing that yeast sorry, the thing that uh, honey lacks is nitrogen. And if you are uh, real sciencey side of it, but in the brewing world, your yeast need nitrogen to be able to ferment. Just like they need some oxygen, they also need nitrogen. And the nitrogen is what partially fuels them. There is not a large amount of nitrogen present in honey, which means that when you are adding things like yeast nutrient or yeast energizer, which are both um, food, but also some, has some uh, nitrogen in it, you are allowing the yeast to get their fill of their nutrients. So I think it's kind of interesting um, that, well, I'll put it this way. I, uh, I have been working on a test of well, of nutrients, testing nutrients to see what nutrients are best for mead making. And I'm not gonna spoil my results because I've been working on this video for like two months now. And so um, you'll see it when it comes out. But essentially my finds, what I'm finding is that uh, a yeast that has been provided nutrients ferments faster, ferments clearer, and ferments just better in general because they have the necessary fuel. If you think about an Olympian, when they are, you know, training and when they are fueling their body right, they are performing at their best. We want to be able to perform at our best. Yeast want to be able to perform at their best. We provide them with the right nutrients and the energizer. The nutrients are where you get your nitrogen. The yeast energizer 
so, uh, I remember reading this a little while back, but essentially the yeast energizer is kind of like dead yeast that the yeast feed on, which allow them then to um, ferment better and faster. It kind of acts as a weird pre-workout for mead making and uh, they need that to be able to move faster. Uh, going with both of them are really, if you can provide both the nutrient and the energizer, then you will have a more successful fermentation. Is this true for every single yeast? Do you need to provide the same amount of nutrients for every single yeast? No. There are some yeasts that require less nutrients, and that's just because it's a, this is science. This is, some people require less food. Some people require more food. It just depends on what you're doing. If you have a yeast, generally, that is like a very fast fermenter, um, they might need more food, if this makes sense to you. Uh, I, I definitely think I will be pairing them both more often. Uh, I have found that my yeast, or my meads without yeast, uh, energizer, and nutrient have been less successful. So that's kind of my point on that. What kind of yeast, nutrient, and energizer should you get? I would suggest getting um, stuff from your local brew shop if you have one. If not, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, I get from my local brew shop just, it's a regular yeast nutrient, no, I can't remember what brand they get, but they baggy it themselves. And then my energizer is Fermax. You can get things like Gopher and Protect, Gopher and Protect Evolution, uh, Fermaid K, all those things are yeast nutrient energizer. You can get them on Amazon. Great deal. Go for it. So let's talk about the different kind of protocols by which you can add yeast nutrient and energizer. There's a couple different things. You can take all of your lump sum you need for your mead, throw it in the in, in the beginning, and let them go. And let it, the yeast eat the food like that. You can also take and do a staggered nutrient schedule, which means you add the food over time, over about four different days normally. Uh, there's also the Tosno protocol, which is this big thing that is kind of what we're talking about essentially right now. The two I'm most well-versed in are just throwing all of the nutrient energizer in the beginning, letting it go, and you know, letting that happen. The, the, quote, problem with that is that you are... Um, you're introducing all the food they need at the beginning, which can be a little bit of an overload. I imagine, or I equate this to like Thanksgiving. So let's say you went to Thanksgiving and you're trying to eat all the food you need for a week in one day. You're probably gonna have a hard time doing that because that's a lot of food. That's the same way for the yeast. They, they can't necessarily eat all that food. And yes, it will still be in the mead, but it's, it's just like an overload. Um, have I had bad fermentations? Not necessarily. I haven't side-by-sided these two things though. Eventually, I'm going to do a test where I stack up staggered nutrient schedule versus the lump sum schedule, quote, uh, and see which one, you know, what the differences are. Let's talk about staggered nutrient schedule. If you're making a mead, you are probably, um, or hopefully you're using yeast nutrient if you follow a staggered nutrient schedule, you're going to be put the, putting the lump sum of your nutrients in over four days. Let's say I make a four-gallon mead and I get all of my nutrients in. I am going to put a quarter of my necessary nutrients in on day zero. 
Then I will put a, a quarter on day two, a quarter on day four, a quarter on day six. This is like you're at Thanksgiving and you took, you get all your food, you eat what you need for one day, and then you eat your leftovers throughout the week. I think you will be a little more sustained if you do it that way. Same thing for the yeast. They're a little more sustained. They're being fed over time, the, kind of the step feeding idea that we talked about not too long ago. Um, and I, I believe that's the more successful way to do it. Does it require you to uh, watch your mead, to pay attention to it and not just let it go? Yeah. However, you should probably be doing that anyways because this is a science that you have to watch and monitor your mead in general. You have to watch out for things like, is my mead fermenting in the correct temperature range? Um, am I giving them the right nutrients? Various stuff like that uh, that require some patience and also persistence. The, the most interesting thing to me about the two, difference between the two, is that you're still providing the same lump sum, but they can yield different results. In the future, um, I will be doing a more specific test with that. I can't give you exact differences. I can tell you that um, I believe there will be differences between the two. So, we've talked a lot about yeast, nutrient, and energizer, and this various stuff that is all really necessary for mead making. If you want to be a good mead maker, you have to know how to use your ingredients well. And that takes time, effort, and understanding of this science. You absolutely can throw honey water yeast together, throw it on a shelf, and forget about it for three months. Sure, that's fine. Here's the problem. If you don't write down what you put into that mead, if you don't check the gravity before you put it away to ferment, um, if you're not necessarily watching it and seeing if it's if it looks like it's fermenting well, then you could end up with a bad product. If you just throw your stuff together without any information, you're also not able to recreate that mead. And that's the most important thing to me. You can make the most amazing thing in the world. Like, Let's say my friend brought me a bottle of mead and it was the best mead in the entire world. It's like, awesome, man, I love this. Here's the problem. If I asked him, hey, what's your recipe? Hey, how did you do this? And he goes, oh, I don't know, I didn't write it down. This like lost, this relic that is the mead making future is lost forever. And that's because he didn't write it down. So write your stuff down so you can be able to know what you did and write down your process too. Enough of that topic. Um, that was my main subject for today. Let's talk about my last thing I always discuss in kind of like a section three of this podcast. Uh, a mead success I've had recently and a mead failure. So let's start with the mead success because I think that this one is kind of interesting. Uh, I have been working on a mead tournament. So back in 2018, I did a mead tournament where I took my first 16 meads I'd ever made and I faced them against each other in a blind fashion to find out which one I thought was the best, just in my opinion. This was not the opinion of my friends necessarily or other people around, this was my opinion. So I wanted to recreate that. Now that I have 70 plus recipes of meads, I took 16 of what I think are some of my best and I faced them against each other. 
I brought two of my friends over, so there are three judges. We taste tested each one, and I had a big board made. We did two competitions. The first competition was basically just deciding which mead we liked more over the other one. So, for example, um, you know, we would taste test uh, a pear mead against my apple cinnamon mead, and they'd face up against each other, they'd battle, we would decide which one tasted better in our opinion. Based off of, you know, uh, honey character, not necessarily going off like a rubric, but just off of our personal opinions. We pared that down, got all the way to the end, and there was a winner. So that, that video is live on YouTube right now. If you want to go see that, the um, quarterfinals of the Man Made Mead Tournament of 2020 are live. And I highly suggest you go check it out. It's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with it, and I would love to do more with it in the future. Um, but I definitely need... I, I would love your support. That's what I'm asking for. So there's another side of this. That's the first competition. The second competition was an actual rubric rubric uh, based test. Before we started the first competition, we did, well, before we did everything, we basically taste tested every single mead, and I had a rubric that had things like honey character, uh, appearance, what else was there, uh, mouthfeel, uh, finish, all these different guidelines by which we could grade each mead. And I compiled all of that data after we did that and posted that, I'm posting that in another video. That won't be out until after all the mead tournament videos are out though. So um, you'll have to be looking out for that one. So my kind of success recently has been that. That was a huge thing for me. I spent, I mean, probably a good 40 hours from setting everything up to recording it to uh, just basically like having to edit it all, it was kind of a big deal. So I, I would love for you to go check that out. The whole tournament took a lot of time. Not to mention the time it took to make the meads. I had used some meads in there that were two and a half years old. So I sat on those things for a long time and uh, they hopefully, I won't spoil anything, but it was just a lot of fun. Now, let's talk about the failure that I had recently. I am very sad to say that I broke a five and a half big mouth glass carboy and it was probably the dumbest thing I've ever dumbest way I've ever broke a carboy I've done some stupid stuff um, but this was my biggest loss because I just got it about three weeks ago what happened was I'd moved something out of it I put it back in my container that's back behind me right now and I didn't get it all the way into the uh, into this cabinet so when I closed the door it hit the carboy when it hit the carboy it slammed into the other carboy behind it and put this giant hole into it so I had to throw that away I can't fix it because it's glass there's no way for me to fix it so I was really mad kind of about that that was a $50 carboy that I lost and I was a bit bummed so if you are using glass carboys of course be careful for your own safety but also so you don't have to spend more money I will be getting another one of those big gallon glass carboys in the future. Uh, I just, I gotta have time to mourn the one I lost, I guess. So yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I hope you will go check out the tournament videos and the main channel. This is going up on the Man Made Mead Extras channel, if you're watching it now. Uh, the main channel is where I post all of my mead tournaments, all of my mead tests, the meads I make, all those various things. This channel is where I post um, the mead reviews as well as 
you know, this podcast for the video side. You might be listening on Spotify or Apple podcast or really any other podcasting site. And uh, thank you for listening. I appreciate you. If you want to see a video version, it's on YouTube. You can watch me um, in person talk about this stuff. But I hope you all uh, have a great day. I will be back with episode 12 in about two weeks. Leave your comments below for what you want to hear me talk about, because I would love to discuss some things. Um, and I, I'll be the first to say I don't know everything, but I'll share what information I have with you. So have a great day. I'll see you guys next time. 